Welcome to Not So Standard Deviations, the data science podcast. This is episode 16. Uh, I'm Roger Pang from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, and I'm here with Hillary Parker of Stitch Fix. Hey, yeah. Hillary. Hi. <laughs> you know, I was listening to the last episode, actually. I realized that I, I, I called it Stitch Fixed. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's a, and, it's a, what would that be? The present tense of fix, not the past tense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I apologize for that to you and your organization. <laughs> no, no, no harm. No harm, no yeah. foul. <laughs> um, so uh, how is San Francisco? It's great. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I think everyone, for those people who haven't uh, been here before, every day is like 72 degrees and sunny. It is very windy here. Uh, today is especially windy, but... Yeah, it's it's been really fun. So, yeah. it's been like what a week or two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm saying so. that having been here for basically no time, but it's been kind of a whirlwind few weeks uh, with the move and getting settled and everything and starting a new job and it's but it's been it's been great. It's been and the organization is amazing. The data science team is now I think 77 people. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it's a huge team, really, really smart folks. So it's just, it's going to be like a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I guess that is the reason why there was a slightly longer than usual delay uh, yes. between our last episode and this one. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, the, all the carrier pigeons had to uh, bring your stuff over there and things like that. So. Yeah. And speaking of that, I don't have my microphone yet. So we're back to the early days of recording oh. quality, at least from oh, my yes. end. So it's like, it's still en route? Yeah, well, no, it's here. It's just in a box, oh. a yet-to-be-determined box. <laughs> we, we predicted this would happen in the last like, episode. Yeah, it, I tried to focus on things like uh, dishes and you know clothing, and unfortunately, microphone for podcasts was you know not not the highest priority item to unpack. Yeah. I actually I tried to look for it, but it's just still a sea of boxes. So <laughs> you found your cat though, right? I yeah, my cat mate. My cat actually was totally fine. Like I I should fly with her more often. She seemed to <laughs> actually kind of enjoy it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's a, a, of all the things I was nervous about, that was one of the things that for anyone who has a cat, here's my recommendation. I I left her. I, I just put her in her carrier when the movers came and that was that was a mistake. She was really stressed out. And so I don't yeah. recommend that. Like I should have boarded her that day. But then the actual flight itself, like, you know, I just had some treats and, you know, pet her from time to time. And I got really lucky that the seat next to me was empty. So I just like oh. put her carrier on the seat and Oh, nice. Yeah. It was so anyway, it's like it's funny the things that you end up worrying about end up not being <laughs> a big deal and then other unexpected things, you know. It's, it's always hard to plan everything, but yeah, moving with a pet. She didn't not like meow so the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what'd you say? I was, I was, she didn't meow the whole time. <laughs> no, she didn't meow at all. In fact, the person next to me like said, "Oh, I didn't hear her meow," and I was like, "Yeah, she's a great cat. <laughs> very chill. Very chill." All right. Well, um, so is, we have a lot to catch up on uh, yeah. since it's been about three weeks. So I think we'll just go right into it, right? Yeah. Although that reminds me also there is a also a moving-related delay with sticker uh, disbursement. So <laughs> if you've donated, you know, between um, 
May 4th and now uh, the sticker production line was momentarily halted, uh, but we'll be ramping up. It was shortly, briefly taken so. offline. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, get in touch if you if you've like don't become a patron and you haven't received a sticker yet. So. Yes. All right. Uh, yes. Yeah, thank you for that. And um, all right. So I guess uh, we'll get into it. huh? Yeah. So uh, uh, I guess the first topic uh, we'll talk about talk about Palantir. Yeah, that'd be great. So. Um, I uh, well, so okay, I guess I'll do the background on this a little bit. One thing that surprised me actually is that um, I, I realized that a lot of people actually didn't know what Palantir did. Um, yeah, and, I definitely uh, didn't. Well, I think uh, most people don't know the details, obviously, of what they do, but mm-hmm. uh, even just like kind of the high level stuff. But uh, anyway, so BuzzFeed had a long article uh, on this company Palantir, which is a privately held company that. Um, I guess it would describe. I guess it's described in the article as a hybrid kind of data analysis consulting slash software company, mm-hmm. and it has kind of a storied history. The, the founders came from PayPal, um, including hmm. people like Peter Thiel, uh, and um, and and they uh, originally the software that they kind of originally developed came from PayPal uh, for detecting fraud in kind of PayPal transactions. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they kind of thought, well, it would make it make sense to spin that off into another company because maybe you know other clients would, would be used, uh, interested in using the software. Um, and a lot of their early kind of clients were basically military and intelligence, so organizations like the CIA, NSA, FBI, uh, the, I think the Special Operations Command, things like that, a lot of you know, military and intelligence and government generally clients. Um, and I think they, my understanding is that they were relatively successful in that area. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to know because there's no public details. Um, and then they've re- and the, according to the story, they've recently kind of gone into more commercial types of uh, clients. And they mentioned three in particular, Coca-Cola, uh, Kimberly Clark, and American Express. Um, hmm. And the thrust of the article is that they have, they've had trouble kind of scaling out into different types of clients and also in kind of retaining clients, I guess, is one way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, Are they I located think- in DC? They have an office in McLean, Virginia, which is okay. where the CIA is. Yeah, um, that's where my mom's and, from. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Just an aside. Uh, I, and, uh, uh, and they're headquartered in, uh, in uh, I think, in the Bay Area. I don't know exactly where. Interesting. Uh, I, okay. I think it's in, that makes sense. Like, the, the, the sea levels are all in the Bay Area because of PayPal. That's my then, understanding, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. But then they would need people kind of on the ground in near their big clients. Uh, yeah, I think they have a few offices, yeah. Um, and uh, I think one of the, well, the first most interesting thing about the article is that, is that it was really kind of like the first real data point on mm-hmm. this company that were, that actually had any detail whatsoever. You know, it's a very secretive company, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and not much has come out of it in terms of what they do. So I think it was just interesting to be able to read like anything about the company really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I think it would, it intrigued me because I'm intrigued by, by this general idea of like, how do you scale data analysis? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we've talked about that before in the past. We, yeah, we have. Yeah. And I think, um, I feel like this company is really, it's, it's whole premise is basically that, yes, you can scale it to like an enormous, uh, you can, you can really kind of scale it up quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm just like I'm skeptical of that premise. I guess is what it comes down to. Yeah. Wait. So um, functionally, were they? Was there anything in their business model that was different than just being a consulting firm, or is that basically it? Well, they have software. 
Okay, so oh. they do develop software okay. that um, it's not entirely clear what the software does, but my guess is that, so f I imagine fraud detection is a big element. So maybe going through like reams of data, looking for unusual events, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. So, um, but in terms of their other clients, it wasn't entirely clear like what they were trying to do. Like there was some mention of looking at like a supply chain um, uh, for, I think it was for Kimberly-Clark. Um, Mm -hmm. And maybe trying to, and, but not clear what they were trying to do uh, with the supply chain, maybe like optimize it or something. I don't know. It's hard to say. Mm -hmm. um, but there were a number of issues that were raised. One is like some of the clients didn't think that the either the software or the consulting was useful. Um, hmm. Some clients thought that <laughs> there was an interesting comment about how they couldn't work with the company's millennials, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Wait, this um, is Palantir. They had trouble kind of collaborating with them. And, and then I guess Coke. Um, thought, felt like they didn't have enough experience in their industry to kind of uh, kind of be that helpful uh, mm, to, co yeah. to Coca-Cola. Well, so wait, the millennials were in Palantir? Like they were yes. Palantir yes. millennials? Okay, yeah. So yeah, I mean, all of this depends on kind of who, I mean, it depends on a lot of things, but the people they were hiring, were they people with training and analysis? Or <laughs> were they, like who, who were know, they hiring? it's funny. At, yeah, I went. So after I read the article, I went to their website to see like what the jobs were available, mm -hmm. and there was nothing that I could see in the descriptions um, that resembled data analysis. Mm. Um, and maybe because they hired everyone already, so they don't need anyone. But it seems unlikely. Uh, mm -hmm. But they have because they have a lot of jobs available for software engineers, for sales, um, mm -hmm. and a lot of engineering types of positions. Hmm. Okay, um, interesting. So that's perhaps, yeah, that's a, actually, a, that's a great yeah. question, actually, because it could be that they just don't have anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they're, so if they're hiring engineers, are these engineers to work on their proprietary software? Yes, I believe okay. so. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, yes. yeah. I, my my, my <laughs> sense is the model. engineer the problem away. That always yeah. works. <laughs> well, yeah, so my sense is that the model is they have software that they probably customize slightly to every client, and then they and then they have people who kind of like go to the client and can basically help them use it, you know, consult mm -hmm. on it. Mm -hmm. um, and and those people are engineers, my guess is. And hmm. um, and I and uh, you know I was so I was in, I, you know it's one of these things where like I feel like if you're if it's a if it, if you were just going to have a consulting company that helps people with data analysis, uh, I, don't, I don't need to use the word just like it's bad. Mm -hmm. um, but you wouldn't have a $20 billion valuation is what it comes down to. Oh, yeah. Um, I feel like that I, I, That seems to be something that's been happening recently that is causing problems. <laughs> like companies that are essentially consulting firms, but somehow they get a ton of funding and maybe it was due to the funding bubble that we're coming out of. I mean, I don't even, I don't know a ton about what even caused that bubble, but like, I feel like there's more than one consulting firm out there that's like desperately trying to get ROI to scale beyond, like a consulting firm kind of doesn't scale aside from hiring more people. Yeah. And, and then, and it's like, it, this isn't even the only company that's like tried to somehow like do this like exponential scaling that just doesn't even really work in this context. Well, but, I guess, I mean, there is a fundamental question here, which is that, um, is it possible to kind of do the kind of exponential thing with data analysis? I mean, that's just the bottom line, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, another startup that's in this space that is, 
I mean, I, I guess I don't, it's hard to define succeeding when you're still a startup, but our studio is trying to do this essentially. Right. But they're, they're, I mean, this all in some ways comes down to licensing choices. Like they've made, um, our studio, uh, the AGPL license, right? And yeah. they kind of assume that, oh, we'll, we'll win over open source, like our developers or our users um, who who use the software for free. And then when they go to the company, like the company needs to purchase a corporate license. And so like that's their way of trying to scale this problem. So it's not consulting exactly. It's more the software. And so- But I guess I see- Sorry, I guess I guess I see our studio as more as a, a more of a traditional software company, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, kind of like SaaS, you know, for example, or something like. Um, or... Yeah, but without the but without having to actually purchase the software, that I guess that's the key difference. That's true, right? So they make yeah. their money off of some kind of services on top of the software or, or some premium type of stuff. It's a right. I mean. Yeah, well, it's I think I think the idea is that you win a, like. Because they're not even the only software company that has this business model of we will provide a free service and then the the people who use and become dedicated to it um, as kind of open source developers or open source like analysts essentially or like non-affiliated analysts will then evangelize for the software in a corporate environment and then yeah. and like demand it and then you know the company will have to pay some sort of professional fee in order to to have right. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whereas like SaaS or something is just like you have to you you have to pay right away, no matter who you are. Yeah. So maybe that wasn't the best example. I guess I was thinking something like like a lot of, like a lot of Linux companies, for example. Yeah. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's kind of pretty similar. Yeah. Well, yeah. So one of the things that I think was maybe a little confusing to some people was that I think like a lot when people think of. Uh, like companies, like startup, a lot of startups, like Facebook. I mean, Facebook's not really a startup, but <laughs> I mean, a lot of these companies they do they use data science. Like all these companies, you could think of as they're all data science companies, right? Facebook, Google, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but they those companies they don't sell data science, right? Like mm-hmm. they're not. That's not their product, right? Their mm-hmm. product is something else, and they use data science to kind of optimize that product. Yeah. Um, whereas Palantir is actually trying to sell data science, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's. Not clear to me that uh, how easy that it, it's. Well, I guess it's hard. I mean, I guess in some sense I do it in a very small scale, um, mm-hmm. and it's hard, right? I mean, would you agree? <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. No, and it's sort of interesting because I think we're running into because in past episodes, and I still feel strongly about this. Like, you're not going to be able to buy the perfect software that makes the problem go away. Like, you know, you'll never develop a tool that does the role of having a strong analyst or data scientist, right? But then there's also on the other side of the spectrum, like you can't just throw a bunch of data scientists at a problem and make it go away either. And like you can't you can't outsource um, it, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, that sounds bad for Palantir, right? Because they're trying to do both of those things. And you're saying neither, both of <laughs> those extremes, is, I guess I would say. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I well, mean, because on the like one hand, this article say they're not doing well, so you know, <laughs> well, twenty twenty hindsight. It's all relative. <laughs> I mean, they might only be worth like five billion dollars instead of twenty, but yeah, um, yeah. But it, it, yeah, I think like their two approaches are throw some software at the problem, or like you know, you know, par- parachute in a bunch of people, perhaps mm-hmm. um, from the outside. The whole point is that they're from the outside, and. Um, yeah, I think that's very hard because like these are people who don't know your business very mm-hmm. well, and they um, 
and they are coming in to, so I guess, solve a problem of some sort. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to think about like how that would work in a way that's not very labor intensive. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 And that's the weird thing about it. Having funding is that there's this promise that somehow like you'll get enough users and then like money will fall yeah. out of the air. <laughs> yeah. Everything will be solved with that. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it's, I actually, when you were talking about that, I was thinking a little bit about like, well, what else would a company try to outsource like that? So you have something like you know, like your HR function at a company, you know, there's a lot of successful startups. I don't even know if they're startups anymore that will do like, they'll do a lot of the HR payroll or whatever. So, so that works in some context, right? But then, and because analysis is this cross-functional, like a data science team is almost by definition, kind of a cross-functional team that's like serving the needs of several teams. And so, it may look on paper kind of parallel to, you know, HR or to IT even, or, you know, like other things that are support, support groups. Yeah. But, but the idea, and then I I was actually thinking like, are there examples of times when you would outsource an IT department? Like are there IT as a service (laughs) come like startups out there? Uh, and I think well, I mean, so yeah. like cloud providers, for example, right? Yeah, I mean, good point. Yeah, 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 like uh, AWS or something, where you kind of outsource like your configuration of your cluster, right? Or like, yeah, or the like in that case, the physical hardware, even. Yeah. Um, well, I think one one thing that one analogy to think of might be like so you would have no problem like you have no problem buying Microsoft Word from Microsoft like Microsoft doesn't work for you right you just buy their software right mm-hmm. um, but would you how comfortable would you be like outsourcing a software development team that was building your software you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I don't know I guess there are is that exist I guess I don't think about it. I'm not sure like yeah I'm not well, but I mean, then I was thinking that there are analytics companies. So, for example, um, Looker is a company that dev- is, has sort of a, I don't even know how to, it's a, it's a BI tool um, that you can uh-huh. like set on top of any number of databases or data sources. Um, and so it's kind of like a UI. Um, mm. And if you purchase that, they'll like send someone to your company and help set up for a while. And so... So that is, I mean, I guess that's just going back to like scaling the problem via software, right? But then having yeah. someone coming in and like making sure it's configured and maybe porting over some of your tables into the UI themselves to show you how it works right. and like give you code examples to follow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, it's so hard to like, know. I guess the, the whole company sounds so mysterious because it's not like you yeah. can, like on with Looker, you can go and like evaluate the tool. Like they'll have versions on the website that you can look at and decide if you like or not. But it doesn't sound like Palantir that it's like that. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to know. But I, so I think it, it's hard to like, there's no point really speculating on what they actually do. But my, my question is like, like, what would they have to be doing in order to justify a given like a, a crazy valuation? Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think like if they had software that just analyzed the data and gave you answers in any situation, then I think that would be justified, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's like that's just not even possible. There's a, there's no chance right? that exists, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, then it's a question of how does this happen? Like who who's asleep at the wheel? Like is it that 
is it that funders don't understand that the problem can't be solved that way? Is it, you know, because the companies are, sounds like being pretty clear that they don't feel like this is solving the problem. And so, like, how does this even happen? <laughs> well, I think, you know, it's one of those things, and I think you would agree with that. Like, if you live on the outside of the data analysis world, um, it's difficult to understand, like, how, you know, the challenges, I think. And I think um, often if you see the end product, you see the kind of things that are at the very end of the pipeline, and it doesn't seem that hard. And in fact, it seems like something that could be replaced with software. Yeah, right. yeah, that's true. Yeah, Jeff had a post about that that I may have even referenced here before of something like, oh, the problem with data science is that if you do it well, it looks really easy. Yeah, right. I mean, is that yeah. that's fundamentally the issue, right? It's like it's hard yeah. to quantify its value when it when it doesn't seem like it would be it would require that much labor, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, or, I mean, I think so. I, I mean, so I think, and whereas a lot of the the work is right, kind of like figuring out like what question you're trying to ask and etc. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, it's easy. I think if you're not in, if you're not, if you haven't done it before. Uh, or, for example, if you're maybe if you're a software engineer, or if you you maybe you've invested in software companies, it might be easy to to accept this possibility that yes, we can develop software that will kind of solve data analysis problems in in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's like I, I wish that were the case in some sense, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, but it. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just it comes down to this field. I still feel like this field is not. Um, it just still isn't widely understood or recognized. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I well, guess that's it, like what you were saying. <laughs> also, like the the level of confusion there, and I do feel I do feel like to some degree it is on people within the field, like explaining what they're doing better and like making sure that it doesn't just seem like a black box to everyone else. Because I think there's such a it's very tempting to it's very tempting to present it that way in order to be like, oh, here's the answer. I don't want to get caught up in like 50 hours of bike shedding over specific model choices. But, you know, it's it's it, can, it seems to be the, like the fundamental problem with this field <laughs> is that no one understands how hard it is or the amount of work that goes into it. Yeah, like we have a valuation problem, right? It's just, yeah, uh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, you know, one of the things I, I thought was, that, you know, I feel like it may be that like Palantir is really successful in like the intelligence and military area because it might be that all like there's like a certain subset of problems there that are common across, you know, many applications and that maybe they've built some software to really handle that. So it mm -hmm. might maybe like if they're just looking at terrorist networks or they're looking at you know, payments and they're looking like they're trying to find these rare events in like a sea of data. Like maybe mm -hmm. that's a common issue and mm -hmm. they figured out how to how to deal with that. And so but if you're working for Coca-Cola or something like maybe that's not the problem you have. You have some totally other problem. Yeah. Um, and your choice is to develop a totally new piece of custom software or try to cram this existing piece of software into like a different problem. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you can kind of yeah. see how that would fail, I think. Yeah. What, like, what's wrong with the world? Why can't doing a job well be enough? Like, why does it have to be like, oh, and we have to have this huge valuation and have exponential growth and scale this to a problem, you know, like scale this problem to every single use case. Like, what, you know, the lost art of like being specialized in something and doing that well, that seems like that's something that's so unrewarded in the current kind of like VC funded world that is 
the world right now. That's a very, that's a <laughs> very deep I mean? question that you yeah. asked. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, the, yeah, now that I'm in San Francisco, it's like, what have we done? But I, but I do think, I think it's a question that a lot of people are asking right now, just because there is um, this whole kind of, you know, Silicon Valley having this sort of, I don't even know what to describe it, like a lag or like there's, there's some, there's fear, <laughs> palpable fear uh, in certain sectors. Right. Fear um, of what? And like the sense that like, like a lot of, a lot of companies have had their, their valuation go down recently. And, you know, kind of like this, like, Hey, not everything, not every startup is going to be the next Facebook type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But it just seems, it does seem unfortunate (laughs) and I don't even know what the right solution is, but it seems unfortunate that so many smart people like feel like this is their, it just seems like it's this path that people follow somewhat uncritically, you know, and that's probably really unfair to the people who do it, but that's sort of what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I, I mean, the dream is to kind of have something that really scales out, you know, as like a platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, data analysis, I feel like it could be one of those things. It, I, 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 I actually do believe that, but I, really? I don't see it. But I feel like it, I mean, I think it's one of those things where we have to learn more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, and, 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 and about the, you know, it's just one, we don't really know that much about it. I think maybe one of these, like each, you know, field specific, like in a given area, like with fraud detection or something, like maybe we could develop a set of, generalizable things that could be coded in software. Um, mm-hmm. But there's always going to be a new problem, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, so, and I think every time you encounter the new thing, like you're going to have to do this process all over again. And yeah. that is what is the limiting factor, it seems like, right? I, mean, I don't even think, I, I think I almost disagree with you in that I don't even think that, I don't think that the problems are, I think the problems are always slightly too complex. Even something as simple as a t-test, you know, you have to test certain assumptions and you have to make sure that it's actually answering the question that you want. And like, I mean, I guess t-test is an example of a test that, you know, quote unquote scaled in that it is used widely by a lot of people. Right. But like to use it properly still requires a lot of knowledge from the person implementing it right and so i don't i can't imagine that there's that much more that i i I guess i just my feeling you know after what after seeing people try to solve this problem with various software solutions is that even the simplest problems are still too complex for some sort of generalized solution like they can be mostly generalized but you still have to have someone who has knowledge in the field who's making sure that it is appropriately answering the question. Yeah. And the, and the questions are just so complex and so specialized and they change and you know what I mean? It just, I, I don't think I, I don't think I'm as, as optimistic as you about this problem being scalable. <laughs> I, I actually, I'm not sure I'm that optimistic. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I think, was like, yeah. I was in a meeting just the other day and like, we spent, I'm sorry, there are a lot of ambulances here. At the <laughs> um, yeah. But um, like we spent a solid 20 minutes of a one hour meeting just trying to figure out like what exactly is the problem you're trying to solve, right? <laughs> exactly. And, um, and it was, and the, you know, the people who were kind of talking to us, they, they didn't really know, you know, I think they mm-hmm. didn't quite understand where the problem was lying. And, um, and I think there's a temptation to think that, well, 
the problem can be solved with like better machine learning or you know, better mm -hmm. model or whatever. And, and and so many times that's just like the last ten percent of the problem, right? Oh yeah, oh um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so yeah. And the question is whether you can move that to be like you can somehow make that the last I don't know like twenty percent of the problem, or or, or you know rather rather than just like the kind of icing on the cake. Um, mm -hmm. But probably not. I think you're probably you're right. I think like a lot of the problem is just like, do you have good data, and are you asking a reasonable question? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. nailing that down is hard. I guess. And understanding even how to ask the question is, in some ways, the hardest part. I think, like understanding yeah. the limits yeah. of how many, like the understanding the limitations of the types of knowledge that you can even acquire from analysis you know what i mean like yeah. like what like understanding what variables are observed and what you can measure and the the quality of the information that you're going to get like i feel like as a i mean we've talked about this before where as a statistician you're always sort of using the hedgy like wet blanket language of like well i can't say that this is not true or even you know, things like that um but that in itself right. is 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 part of the problem right like that's yeah. part of that's part of what doesn't scale is that mindset or that understanding that process. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. I mean, I think it's it's and it's and that makes it hard to switch uh, mm -hmm. from like field to field or person to person. Like, I feel like if you're in the data analysis business and you're going to be taking all comers, right? Everyone's coming to you with a totally different problem, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and you have to have this discussion over and over and over again. And uh, about like what's your question and where exactly is the problem and um, and that's mm -hmm. and it's just like there's really it's it's hard to generalize that and I think it, well, that's why I think it's easier for like someone like me to just work in one area like I'm only going to work in environmental health or whatever because then I know okay there's a class of problems there's a class of issues uh, and they are people are probably going to have one or some combination of these problems right mm -hmm. but if I were just mm -hmm. like tomorrow go into genomics then like I have no idea like I have to start that whole thing over again you know yeah um, exactly exactly and I think yeah, if you're in the business even, of data data analysis or data science like you're constantly switching and maybe yes yeah, so or maybe you have multiple teams but then those multiple those different teams like have nothing in common with each other you know and exactly um, and then you're does, not scaling anymore you're just right. hiring more people you yeah, know, it, that is a form of scaling, but it's not a form of scaling that has the like 10x or 100x return or whatever VCs need to be happy, right? Like, like just right, exactly. Hiring a bunch of people isn't enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there are huge companies. Like, you look at McKinsey, you look at Booz Allen Hamilton. These are huge companies mm -hmm. uh, that do this kind of stuff. Um, but even they are not worth 20 billion dollars. So, you know, exactly, it's just, not, it's just not possible. Yeah. yeah. No, that's not, now that, like, there, yeah, this sounds, this sounds like it was um, a mistake, <laughs> this valuation. <laughs> like, I can't, I just, it's, it, it's impossible for me to even imagine what, what they can be doing, right? Yeah. No, I have trouble <laughs> visualizing what that and so does yeah. And so does BuzzFeed, apparently, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'd say they were when I put this when I put the blog post out. There were there were not a lot of defenders. It might just be the people who follow me, obviously, but um, mm -hmm. there were not a ton of defenders out there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's hard to defend something that's like totally secret, but um, yeah. So yeah. And, um, well, well, anyway, so it'll be I, interesting it, to see what happens. I mean, as I said, as you know, I feel like we keep circling around. <laughs> I feel like we've identified so many things 
that are wrong, right? <laughs> and it'd be interesting <laughs> to see, like, have things circle around what the right solution to this problem is, right? And I, I actually think, I was going to mention this, I think one, you know, successful scaling of data science is exactly what you're doing with Coursera. And, you know, sc essentially scaling education is sort of the only option, in my opinion, um, for scaling, yeah. at least in terms of scaling the amount of data analysis that's done well. I think scaling education is the easiest way to do that versus scaling the work of people who know how to do it well. You see what I mean? Yes, that's just you know, so that's an interesting way to think about that actually. So like, it's kind of like a it's like second order scaling. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like you're yeah. not scaling the people doing the work; you're scaling the training of the people who do the work. Exactly. Yeah. So, so your business model should be that for everyone who learns something from one of your Courseras, they give you like X percent of their salary, and then then you'll have a huge valuation. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll take an equity stake in every single student that we have. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, go 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 do some funding rounds and uh, yeah. you're good to go. That's actually like uh, there's like discussion. I don't think that anyone actually does this, but there is a discussion of like how do you build an economic system where, you know, normally like if you want to go to college, you take out a loan and you go to college and then you pay it back, right? Mm -hmm. But what if instead of loaning you the money, what if the bank like took a percentage of your earnings for the next 20 years and then you don't that you wouldn't have any debt, but yeah. you would have to like give them a share of your earnings or whatever. Oh, that's like that's really interesting. It also feels somewhat evil. Well, <laughs> but it's, a, it's like, a, I mean, student loan debt seems evil too, right? Yeah, I mean, wouldn't it yeah. be nice to graduate from college and not have any debt, right? Yeah, yeah maybe yeah. you sold 10% of your earnings, but, you know, I mean. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially what um, you're doing now, right? Like, without it being as explicit. Right, hmm. yeah. I mean, but uh, anyway, so. Um, speaking of failed uh, startups, have you been following the uh, the latest in Theranos? No, but I, I'm glad you brought it up because I, <laughs> I'm almost, I don't think I ever defended them. Although I think I did say like, oh, what's the harm in like fun, non-medical blood testing? <laughs> and every time <laughs> I see more news, I just, I feel bad that I wasn't harsher on them, basically, you know. Well, I'm admitting I don't know. fault I mean, here. Like... <laughs> So, I mean, the latest I saw, I don't know if you saw this, was that they apparently had to send out letters to any everyone who got one of their tests in the last two years, basically. Yeah. Uh, because the, yeah. Any, well, any test that used their, like, proprietary machine, apparently, because I guess the results were either mm -hmm. wrong. This or is the Edison machine, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, yeah, apparently they invalidated two years' worth, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, I don't know. They're pretty much back to square one there. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least have they... I, I also saw the news that they were going to say that Elizabeth... Her name is Elizabeth Holmes, right? Yes, yes. They're say, saying that Elizabeth Holmes could not work in healthcare for like two years or something. Or like, well, the, uh, like yeah. medical testing. Right. Like she could not be the owner of or the leader of a medical testing company for two years or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and that did that actually go back. through or, I, or was that speculative? Yet. That was the one of the potential remedies. Um, I see. I see. That the, I think the, I think CMS, I think it was either CMS or the FDA, I can't remember, was going to put on them. So, wow. Um, it's, things are not looking up. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Keeps getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, no, but it's interesting. I feel like you identified like super early on the kind of the interesting confluence or the interesting. I guess conflict is a better term between a regulated industry and kind of like the attitude behind like 
tech development in Silicon Valley of like, oh, like, you know, just scrap together a solution and iterate and whatever. And that just so does not work in this field at all. (laughs) Well, I think like one of the things I've been thinking about recently, I feel like a lot of the good things that coming out of uh, like startups or whatever tech companies in Silicon Valley is just like the reducing of friction, right? You know, just like Mm -hmm. it's hard to get a cab because of, you know, the number of cabs is regulated or whatever, and but like Uber kind of makes it easier, reduces that friction, um, and and there are a lot of examples of that. But I think with like, you know, sometimes there's friction for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, 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 like medical testing is one of those things where it's yeah. like you know, sometimes like you do want to get the science right, uh, <laughs> and, and there is yeah. a reason why things are regulated in a certain way because you know, and mm-hmm. I think it's not it's it's not like. Oh, reducing friction is always good, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You Um, know, it's really funny you say that because that's one of the first things I remember from the first class I took with you. (laughs) (laughs) You were talking about Git and you were saying, like, this is one of the instances where a little extra friction is actually good because it makes you be organized and, like, you know, makes you think about your code more carefully. Uh, Oh, like version control, just, like, it just slows you down, yeah. Yeah, it slows you down, but it's, like, a good instance of that. yeah. 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 So, so you've been very consistent over the past like <laughs> long time, I guess. At this point, eight well, years. Con- consistency is one of my lifetime goals, right? So that's <laughs> um, <laughs> what I strive to achieve. Yeah. yeah. Um, Just like, but, like uh, yeah, so being I, anyway. pro friction, but ironically, still pro <laughs> GG plot. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> had to get that in there eventually. You had to sneak that. Yeah, that's amazing how you snuck that in there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of speaking of friction, um, the other interesting thing that came out recently was the whole OKCupid thing, right? So, yeah, I'm glad um, you brought that up too. Yeah. So, actually, do you want to do you, you do you want to summarize this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I essentially, um, I I can't remember if the guy was a postdoc or a professor or a, I think he was. He may have even been a grad student, but someone Some sort of essentially student, scraped OkCupid. Uh, data. So OkCupid is an online dating site and people answer questions. And so I think the data consisted of the answers to questions, possibly the some of the text that you have profile, there's text in the profile, um, tags, like various metadata, a username, uh, and a photo. And so this person scraped that data. I think he did not take photo. He did not like scrape the photos, but he scraped the username. Uh, and the answer to all the questions and released it as a public data set. Um, and so first of all, OkCupid, you have to have a you have to have an account in order to access the uh, like you have to like in order to see someone else's stuff, you have to have an account. So like the definition of public here is like, I'm not sure that's like public if you have to have an account. Um, and then I mean, in terms of it, it it was it was like horribly unethical basically because <laughs> like people reuse usernames right like that's not that's not surprising um, I the process of de-identifying data is complex and like usually something to a like a layperson might seem like it's de-identified meaning like you can't tell who it is but you know if you look at it more carefully you can identify people in fact, that's why the Netflix challenge V2 did not happen, I believe, is because they right. couldn't de-identify the data. Um, right, yeah. 
So that's just something as simple as ratings of movies, right? So when you're talking about people's like dating preferences and other sensitive topics about their personal lives and like in a dating context, like it was just, it was like pretty horrifying. And then the attitude of the person who did it was also horrifying. (laughs) But I'm a little heartened that it was pretty roundly, it was pretty like roundly decried as terrible. And I think, I think the data side got at least put behind a, some sort of password. I'm not. I'm not sure if it's still available, but it did get downloaded like 500 times. Um, I think it was t- ultimately taken down from the. It was posted to the Open Science Framework uh, website. That's right. Um, that's right. Did I it get it totally taken? taken I know at first it got password protected, and then did it get totally taken down? Oh, I'm not sure. Actually, I didn't realize there that there had been that intermediate step. I thought it had just been taken down, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was. Uh, it was pretty awful, <laughs> in my opinion, and uh, it was. I, again, it, I, so part of the reason I feel strongly about this is because this is not the first time that there has been um, an analysis of OkCupid data, or at least online, da- online dating data, that people sort of have like a casual reaction to, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a, a famous case a couple years ago of some a guy who was, I think he was a math PhD student who did something similar like this. Like he created different profiles and scraped data and then, or he scraped data and then he created different profiles. He like clustered people into different clusters and then created profiles that were optimized to each cluster, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, it's like, I understand the impulse to be like, Oh, that's that guy solved this problem in a clever way, but it still is you it's a, it's a violation of the terms of service of OkCupid, which is not okay. And then B it's still kind of, violating the it, it it feels like a privacy violation even if it's just used for personal use because it's still something that could be released uh to the public like very easily um and so it's just sort of odd because i i feel like in this context people because it's online dating and people are weird about things like that and you know i, I think there's an attitude that like well people opted into this service so you know their data is up for grabs and it's just it it's, I feel like it's an interesting area where people are not as uh, horrified. Like if this were to happen with medical records, people would be horrified pretty much across the board, right? Um, yeah. So it's I just an the- interesting and kind of like disheartening thing. But again, the nice thing was that I think from at least in my Twitter sphere, most people were pretty horrified by it. Um, yeah, it seemed like it kind of got shut down pretty quickly. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I did think it was interesting that the the person who kind of scraped the data, their defense was essentially this data is already public in the sense that anyone can find it or anyone can see it um, mm-hmm. if they have an account, right? And so yeah, and it is free to create an account, right? Yeah, so. And so, you know, I think, but this is why I think it's like related to friction, because I think, you know, it's one thing to say, create an account on OkCupid, browse around different profiles, look at different people on the web, right? Mm -hmm. But it's another thing to kind of like vacuum up all the data and like have it on like this massive scale available to everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And even though those are kind of, you know, two things on the same spectrum, 
right? I, I do. There is a real difference there. I think. Yeah. Well, and I and I do think the terms of service is one of the key things that's a difference, right? Like if you're the terms of service, like very clearly state you're supposed to be using it for this purpose, and you're right. not like allowed to take the data to another area or like you know. I mean, I haven't I've like read up on the terms of service recently, but I know that like this is not <laughs> this is very much in violation of that, right? Like they're not like your yeah. terms of service. Like as a user signing up you would see like this is how people are going to engage with this data and like obviously you always have to be skeptical on the internet of like what is going to happen and you know nothing's really that private and people can abuse it but people weren't opting into like yes i would like all of this stuff including my username to be published and that's a known like that's a probable thing to happen right right Um, well i think like an analogy here is like when the edward snowden kind of stuff kind of came out Mm-hmm. And, um, about the kind of wire, warrantless wiretapping. And I think a lot of people were like, well, you know, there, there have been wiretaps for a long time now. People, you know, the government can listen in on your conversations if they get a warrant, et cetera. But I think mm-hmm. there's like a mm-hmm. tremendous amount of friction there, like mm-hmm. to like monitor someone's phone conversation. Whereas the NSA just kind of like vacuuming up everyone's data is a totally different thing, even though it's, you know, they're kind of versions of the same thing, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, no. And I will just point out, and this is just me being cynical and snarky, that I'm sure there's not, I'm sure the Venn diagram of people who are Edward Snowden, like fan people, and then people who think these OkCupid hacking things are so funny and like love looking at the results, like I'm sure those are overlapping to some degree, which is just supremely (laughs) ironic. Yes, that's that's an excellent point. Yeah, it's, again, I think think there is a, Again, this is like my perception and I haven't looked into it carefully, but I do think that there's the privacy of people who are doing online data seems to be very low on people's kind of like privacy respect radar, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. there There was even like another book before the math guy of a woman doing something similar to this and that she like both the math guy and this other woman got book deals out of it and i was like this is absurd like how can you get a book deal for like a violating privacy in terms of service like that like why is this allowed yeah yeah, but you know it's not not a fair world out there is what it comes down to (laughs) (laughs) um all right well i'm gonna have to wrap this up but do you have any free advertising um yeah, I I do. I have so there's this company um, called Wealthfront. Have you heard of them? I have heard of them. Yes. Yeah, it's just it's been interesting. I mean, this is another tech startup, but it's it's just sort of interesting in terms of the like the the in terms of the bubble, if you will. In that I I was like searching around on their blog. They have a really great blog, actually. Even if you're not a customer, it's I think it's kind of worth. And if you want to learn more about finances, but they're so geared towards Silicon Valley that they literally have a, a tech a plan for selling off tech stocks that you get. Like, like <laughs> so your private that was kind share, of funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was kind of funny. And then, but it is like a great, it's a great, it's a great blog uh, and, a, and a good company. So that's okay. my free advertising. All right. Um, yeah. And my thing is um, I found this like slide deck on SlideShare, um, mm-hmm. which is called, now it's called uh, The Secret History of Silicon Valley. And it's why Stanford and not Berkeley. Oh, interesting. And uh, it's interesting because, like, so I didn't, like, I actually didn't know much of this stuff, but he talks about, like, why is it that Stanford kind of ended up dominating 
Silicon Valley as opposed to Berkeley. And he kind of goes through like the parallel history, like for, you know, after like World War II, and like you know, Stanford kind of went in this one direction, and Berkeley ended up with all these like Nobel prizes, and they got like all these you know all, like a lot of dudes doing science and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but Stanford went very much in kind of like the indi- like the industry slash startup direction. Yeah. Um, and uh, so anyway, I, it's weird because it's like it's just a slide deck, so you <laughs> you gotta have to imagine mm-hmm. the person giving the talk. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not that hard. Like it's I think it's pretty easy to follow. Um, yeah. So anyway, so I think it's kind of. It's kind of interesting for me. And it also no, kind of the roots of Silicon Valley in the military, uh, mm-hmm. something I wasn't really aware of. That's, yeah, I feel like this is our Silicon Valley-themed episode. That's right, yeah. Well, yeah, to celebrate you, right? Yeah, yeah. Even though I'm not in Silicon Valley, right? I, I still don't even understand exactly where that's located, but I'm in downtown Where the, where the boundaries are? So. Yeah, but <laughs> seems similar. <laughs> well, when you figure it out, let me know, okay? Yeah, <laughs> I will. Um, all right, so I guess um, that's our episode for this time. And uh, if you want to contact us, our email is nssdeviations at gmail.com. Our Twitter is nssdeviations. Uh, and our Patreon page to support us is patreon.com slash nssdeviations. So, um, so take any one of those uh, routes and feel free to get in touch. So until the next episode, see you later.